0: Oh, fourth in our series on discipleship, keywords following the way of Jesus, is uh, keeping love the main thing. And first section, with a love like that. Let's start off today with a pop quiz. Uh, can you name the song that launched the Beatles into stardom in Britain and was their first single released in the U.S.? Well... Of course you do. You say to me, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well, that did become their catchphrase at the time. And in fact, some parts of Europe, they were referred to as the yeah, yeahs. Hmm. But what was the name of the song? She loves you. That's what we're focusing on today. Uh, Love, keeping it the main thing. The fourth saying in the way of Jesus is, I'm learning to love God and love others. But is this kind of love the same as what the Beatles and other pop singers are singing about? Well, the chorus of She Loves You is well known and pretty simple and repetitive. The verses actually get beyond romantic fluff and physical chemistry to issues that really have potential to get in the way of actual sincere love. Verse 2, See, she said you hurt her so, she almost lost her mind, but now she said she knows you're not the hurting kind. Hmm. Hurt does occur in relationships. Pain makes us not want anything to do with the person who hurts us. We draw back, we want to keep a safe distance. How can healing occur? Hurt makes us enemies instead of friends. Verse 3 adds more depth. You know it's up to you. I think it's only fair. Pride can hurt you too. Apologize to her. Wow. You mean the Beatles actually talked about pride and apologizing? And in a song that went on to become their best-selling song during the whole 1960s? How does pride get in the way of loving? Self resists being humbled. We hate to admit we were wrong, even though we know everyone makes mistakes. But when hurt has been caused, someone's got to pay. We need to make amends, even if that means lowering ourselves to confront honestly our faults and fess up to the other person, so the relationship can indeed return to a state of fairness and and justice, we call it being on good terms. If she loves you is the Beatles' biggest hit of the first decade. Uh, God loves you would be one of the most basic truths of the Christian gospel. You turn to the person beside you or behind you or near you and say, God loves you. Let's look at the centrality of love more closely. The next section Christianity's essential, love as foremost. For some reason, my app isn't working, so I'll try restarting that again. Baden Powell, founder of uh, Boy Scouts and Girl Guys, used to say, if it's not fun, it's not scouting. Similarly, we might say, if it's not loving, it's not Christian. Jesus and the New Testament writers put love squarely at the center of the Christian faith. 1 John 4.16 says, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. John is asserting through the Holy Spirit that God's very essence, the heartbeat of God's nature is love. Probably Christianity's best known verse, John 3.16, begins. God so loved the world. Oh, I've heard uh, a recent podcast, probably one of the better-known verses of Christianity these days is getting to be "Judge not, that you be not judged, but that's a topic for another day. Jesus, God's unique son, the divine incarnate, lived among us as a model of love, teaching, healing, feeding, caring, and at the end, dying to become a perfect substitute for sinners. Jesus' giving of himself for us in our place at the cross defines for us what real love is truly about. 1 John 4:9. 9. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. In Romans 5:8. 8. For God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus spelled out for us how key love is for his followers the kind of love that he demonstrated at the cross John 15:12 my command is this love each other as i have loved you greater love has no one than this that he lay down his life for his friends what constitutes great love in jesus eyes Laying down your life for others. Acting in love is the primary command for a Christian. You just saw John 15:12, Jesus calls it my command. A few verses later, he reiterates for emphasis, John 15:17, "This is my command. Love each other. Could he have made it any simpler? Okay, Three words. What are the three words? The last three words there on the screen. Love each other. That's Jesus' command. In Luke 10, where we find the story of the Good Samaritan, the context has to do with what commands are the most important ones. An expert in the Jewish law asked the following to test Jesus. Luke 1025 to 28. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. In a similar setting in Matthew 22, Jesus adds, All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Hanging or depending or swinging on them like a door on a couple of hinges. If it's not loving, is not Christian. Jesus clearly wanted love to be an identifying factor for his followers, something that would set them apart, make them stand out. John 13, 34 and 35. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you, what? Love one another. The context here is the evening he was betrayed and would be crucified the next day. The evening he washed his disciples' feet in the lowly style of a servant. Not mere emotion or feeling, love in action that would stamp them as his followers. Tertullian of Carthage was a Christian author who lived from 160 to 220 AD, so about the end of the second century. He wrote, It is our care for the helpless, our practice of loving kindness that brands us in the eyes of many of our opponents. Look, they say, how they love one another. Look how they are prepared to die for one another. End quote. Hmm. Would our neighbors say that about our church today? Is our love gauge reading anywhere near that? The Apostle Paul singled out love as the most enduring of the primary features of the Christian faith. 1 Corinthians thirteen thirteen, And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is what? Love. you getting it. In fact, in that famous love chapter, Paul began by asserting that without love, we are a net zero regardless of other spiritual things we might boast in. 1 Corinthians 13, 2 and 3. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge and if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. Zilch. Nada. Next section. Spot the cricket. What love is or isn't. Uh, Has anyone else had this problem lately? Our house seems to have been invaded by crickets. Not overrun, but just the occasional one here, there, we have to track down and deal with if we can find the thing. It's frustrating. You can hear them in the room, but they're almost invisible until you start moving boxes and furniture. How can we track down love? What's it really look like? The Beatles song, She Loves You, had some good angles on it, but not every pop or country song gets beyond the wow factor of physical appearance and personal chemistry. How can we appreciate better what the Lord means by love? 1 Corinthians 13, Paul outlines some positive and negative aspects of love, what it is and what it is not. Uh, Verses 4 to 8a, love is patient, love is kind, It is not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Let's review these one at a time the positives. First, love is patient. Are we generous with our time? Does having to wait for someone make us up tight? Do we cut others off in traffic? Love is kind. How giving are we? Generous with our money or our muscle going out of our way to help someone? Do we exhibit thoughtfulness toward others, or are we always too focused on our own projects? Love rejoices with the truth. Do we hop on conspiracy theory bandwagons? Do we ever bend the facts to make ourselves look better? Are we susceptible to juicy bits of gossip? Love always protects. It covers for the other, makes allowance for them, defends them when maligned, looks out for their best interests. Love always trusts, puts its confidence in the other person, gives them a second chance. Sees the other person in the best possible light. Love always hopes, doesn't become jaded or cynical. It sees the possibilities, stays positive and edifying, building others up. Love always perseveres. Hang in there, don't give up. Let's try one more time. Then there's the negative side what love is not love does not envy. Doesn't compare itself with the Joneses, is satisfied and content rather than always wanting more. Love does not boast, is not full of oneself, always needing to rhyme off one's accomplishments looking for validation. Your validation doesn't come from other humans, but from God, whose son or daughter you are through faith in Christ. Hence, you have real worth and dignity. You don't need to draw attention. Love is not proud either overt pride or hidden pride cloaked by self-deprecation but still needing to be affirmed or in control and heated you know god is god and you're not you don't have to force things to get your way all the time my way or the highway no love is not rude not butting in not jumping in to finish the other person's sentences steering the conversation, but showing respect and being polite, even at least civil when tensions are high. Love is not self-seeking, preoccupied with the unholy trinity of me, myself, and I. Can we let others have preeminence? Does it rankle us when they get the credit or praise? Love is not easily angered not explosive or irritated by simple things, not gunny-sacking, storing stuff up, and then dumping inappropriately at the last straw. Love keeps no record of wrongs. doesn't keep harping, you owe me, or keep a long list of grievances, becoming bitter, resentful, having a hard time forgiving someone. Love does not delight in evil careful about what we're viewing, not fascinated with oppression or injustice or bullying, not overly impressed with the bad guys, whether on the screen or in the news, not taking part in pornography or other practices that degrade others. Steer clear. For an example of love being kind and thoughtful, a young lady walked into a fabric shop, went to the counter and asked the owner for some noisy rustling white material. The owner found two such bolts of fabric, but was rather puzzled at the young lady's motives. Why would anyone want several yards of noisy material? Finally, the owner's curiosity got the best of him, and he asked the young lady why she particularly wanted noisy cloth. She answered, well, you see, I'm making a wedding gown, and my fiancé is blind. When I walk down the aisle, I want him to know when I've arrived at the altar so he won't be embarrassed. Such love the young woman had for her man.
1: Pastor Phil Delso writes
0: in the Way of Jesus Handbook, and by the way, if you've still got it, the chapter 11 is what we're looking at this week. What does love mean? Doing good to someone with warmth and indeed. Love is an action word, more than a feeling, but it is a feeling. Love touches us and moves us to get involved and care about and for someone else. And how do I love others? How did Jesus treat others? The poor, the weak, the proud, the self-righteous. By serving them, doing good to them with warmth and intent. Scripture defines what love means in 1 John 3.16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. The unbelieving Greek writer Lucian, A.D. 120 to 200, wrote this upon observing the warm fellowship of Christians. Remember, he's not a believer. He's just writing us about this strange group called Christians. He said, it is incredible to see the fervor with which the people of that religion help each other in their wants. They spare nothing. Their first legislator, Jesus, has put it into their heads that they are brethren, in Love takes action, doing good, sparing nothing, helping others as Jesus leads us to do because he spared nothing to save us. Next section, is your indicator flashing? At the end of July, I took the M exit course offered by Learning Curves in London to obtain my full motorcycle license. During the actual driving test, one becomes quite nervous, wanting to make sure you stop at the stop signs, don't speed, and make sure you always signal so surrounding traffic can see your intentions. My Yamaha V-Star 950 has a helpful self-canceling feature on the turn signal indicator. Well, at least it's helpful most of the time. Occasionally, after you turn a corner, it doesn't self-cancel. So there you are driving along with your turn signal flashing, even though you aren't actually planning to make a turn. I'm embarrassed to report that this must have happened during my actual driving test because at one point, the examiner course instructor who was following me in a car, marking me and telling me where to go, came on the walkie-talkie and said, Ernest, you can cancel your turn signal anytime. Oops. Is your indicator flashing? Loving others is a vital indicator of our love for God. Discussing Luke 10, Pastor Phil notes, Jesus does something revolutionary. He inseparably connects loving others and loving God. These are not separate things, but the one is the evidence of the other. Jesus weds two scriptures, Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5, and Leviticus 19:18. Deuteronomy 6, 4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength. Now Leviticus 19:18. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. The welding of these two texts has been the single most important marker of the people of God in Jesus. And this single compound idea has shaped the history of the world. John 1335, By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus is unique in making love for God and love for others inseparable. End quote. Love for others is the indicator of our love for God. By this all people will know that we are Jesus disciples. Is our indicator flashing. You can't separate the two. You can't pretend to love God while simultaneously hating another human. 1 John 4:20 If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Real love for God has the consequence, the outworking, the necessity of loving our sister or brother. The Way of Jesus Handbook draws our attention this statement: "You do not love God any more than the person you love the least." I'll repeat that: "You do not love God any more than the person you love the least." Hmm. So, in light of that, I ask you: Do you really love God? First John 4:11 says, "Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love." one another ought we owe it because god has first loved us the handbook comments the apostle appears to be saying that the measure of your love for god is how we treat others our treatment of others is a measure an indicator a gauge of how much we actually love god In a boiler room, it is impossible to look into the boiler to see how much water it contains. But running up beside it is a tiny glass tube that serves as a gauge. As the water stands in the little tube, so it stands in the great boiler. While the tube is half full, the boiler is half full. If it's empty, so is the boiler. Same sort of thing on those big coffee perks that you're probably more familiar with. How do you know you love God? You believe you love him, but you want to know. Look at the gauge. Your love for your brother or sister is the measure of your love for God. Next section. How do I love that other another? Jesus teaches us to love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. He teaches us to love our neighbor as ourselves. He goes even further and teaches us to love our enemy. Matthew 5.43. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Oh, that's a tough one. Not sure about that? Go back and look at the state of the relationship when God put his own love for us on display. Naomi, can you advance me one more there? This is yeah, that, okay. And uh, one more then. Okay, while we were still... Oh, sorry. God demonstrates his own love for us in this, Romans 5.8. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While well, we were still sinners. Romans 5.10 adds, When we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. In Colossians 1.21 <clears throat> once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. God didn't wait for us to get all cleaned up from our sin and become friendly toward him before he showered his love upon us. Back in Luke 10, the religious expert asking Jesus what he must do to inherit eternal life had one more question after the review of loving God and loving one's neighbor. He went on to inquire, and who is my neighbor? As if to define more narrowly and exactly just who love obligated him to act kindly towards. What could be the reasonable cap to his obligation? Jesus' story concluded with the question, Luke ten thirty-six, after the Good Samaritan story. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? It's not about who is my neighbor, but rather, how can I be a neighbor? Jesus' story is called that of the Good Samaritan, which in Jewish eyes at the time would be an oxymoron, a contradiction in terms. Could there ever be a Samaritan who is actually good? The hostility between Jews and their northern neighbors went back centuries. After the northern kingdom of Israel was conquered by Assyria in 722 B.C., The peoples that were left intermarried with those imported by the imperial power. So Jews viewed Samaritans as impure half-breeds. John Hyrcanus destroyed the Samaritan temple on Mount Gerizim about 112 BC, which really finalized the breach between the two groups. Uh, If the United States bombed our parliament buildings, do you think we'd be very friendly towards them? this is that sort of thing. The, The Judeans burned the temple of the northern Samaritans. So when Jesus makes the hero of the story that helped the man left at the side of the road half dead, beaten by robbers, not the Jewish priest or the Jewish Levite, but a despised Samaritan, hmm, this must have stuck in the craw of many of his years. Yes, we are called to love that other another, the Samaritan, that person with whom we have a History Here in Canada, it's easy for us to say Good Samaritan, but what about our own prejudices? Are we really able to truly love those who are unlike us? In 2015, then Chief Justice of Canada, the Right Honourable Beverly McLaughlin, recalled our own sorry history of discrimination at an annual lecture on pluralism. Chief Justice McLaughlin said, In the 19th century, we welcomed Chinese men to build our railroads, dangerous and arduous work, but denied them the right to bring their wives and families unless they paid a head tax, a tax which remained on the books until 1923. When Jews fleeing the Holocaust in 1939 aboard the St. Louis sought refuge in Canada, we turned them away. Denied entry here in the United States, they returned to Europe, where many of them perished. When Japan bombed Pearl Harbor in World War II, we dispossessed the Japanese population of British Columbia of their homes and businesses and locked them up in camps. Slavery was not unknown in our country in the 18th and 19th centuries, and black people suffered through systemic exclusion throughout much of the 20th century. The most glaring blemish on the Canadian historic record relates to our treatment of the First Nations that lived here at the time of colonization. An initial period of cooperative interreliance, grounded in norms of equality and mutual dependence, was supplanted in the 19th century by the ethos of exclusion and cultural annihilation. Early laws forbade treaty Indians from leaving allocated reservations. Starvation and disease were rampant. Indians were denied the right to vote. Religious and social traditions like the the potlatch and the sun dance were outlawed. Children were taken from their parents and sent away to residential schools where they were forbidden to speak their native languages, forced to wear white man's clothing, forced to observe Christian religious practices and not infrequently subjected to sexual abuse. The objective was to, quote, kill the Indian in the child, save the man, end quote and thus to solve what was referred to as the Indian problem. Canada's first prime minister, John A. MacDonald, explained the policy as follows. He said, The great aim of our legislation has been to do away with the tribal system and to assimilate the Indian people in all aspects with other inhabitants of the dominion as speedily as they are fit for change. Indianness was not to be tolerated. Rather, it must be eliminated. In the buzzword of the day, assimilation. In the language of the 21st century, cultural genocide. End quote, from then Chief Justice McLaughlin. We do have blemishes on our history when it comes to how we view those who appear unlike us. It's not unusual to be at least slightly apprehensive, if not fearful of those who appear different from us, sound unlike us, whose customs are not ours. Yet Jesus makes the Samaritan the hero of the story. God reconciled us to himself while we were still enemies, foreigners to grace, aliens from his kingdom. But that same sacrificial love that drove his son to die for our sins, to put things right and make us acceptable before his holiness, pours into our hearts to love others, however strange or foreign they may seem to us. It's not easy. You have to make yourself love others sometimes. It's an act of obedience. Repeatedly, Scripture links love with obedience. Jesus said, John fourteen fifteen to 21, If you love me, you will obey what I command. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Later the Apostle John wrote, 1 John 2, 5 and 5, 3. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is love for God, to obey his commands. Then his commands are not burdensome. Not burdensome because we have an internal helper. As we just read, Jesus will love us and show himself to us. Romans 5.5 5. God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Pastor Phil writes in the way of Jesus' handbook, Obedience is the only right response to the love of God. He is my king. How can I show love to my king unless I follow and obey him? Last section, our greatest need. In closing, Dr. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross had this to say about our greatest need, the absolute greatest need of every person you'll ever meet. She said, I've never met a person whose greatest need was anything other than real unconditional love. There is no mistaking love. You feel it in your heart. It's the common fiber of life, the flame that heats our soul, energizes our spirit, and supplies passion to our lives. It is our connection to God and to each other. Let's pray. Loving God, how great is your love for us unworthy sinners. Thank you for showing us a perfectly loving human life in the person of your son Jesus burn away within us any leftover hostility, any resentments, any prejudice against you or other people. Flood our hearts with your love that pours over into the lives of those we come in contact with. Show us the neighbor you want us to love particularly, to make amends with, to invite into your kingdom this coming week. For you have been so kind to adopt us as